All right, so honest expressions. Um, if Christians are anything, they are honest, right? That means we tell the world around us we're not perfect yet, and we don't pretend to be. And what I love about the Psalms is that they are poems, and they are laments, and they are songs, and they are honest expressions from David and other biblical poets and writers. And they are gifts to us, the believing community that we take with us, because it doesn't matter what experience we have in life, we can identify with the Psalms. Anybody ever had an experience where there's a dark valley in your own life and you read a psalm or two or more and it was like, oh my word, this was written for me and for this season of my life. They are intended to be companions. And the, the Hebrew worshiping community and the Christian worshiping community, they build them into their liturgies. We read Psalm 103 today, which will be our text. We're just going to move through it. My sister said this morning before she left the house, she said, who's the preacher or teacher today and will he keep it short? And so uh, <laughs> you can thank my sister for the two-point sermon or so. Sometimes what I do is I say it's going to be a good morning, it's going to be a two-point sermon abbreviated, but then I have four points under point number two, right? That's how you do it, Gary, right? That's right. But still two-point sermon, but there's subpoints. Um, all right, if you're able, would you stand with me? And we're going to read this passage to ponder from Psalm 139. This has been the passage we've taken with us through July and now August, and um, all of us can identify with this. So it takes the form of a prayer. Would you recite this with me, if you're comfortable? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So our teaching theme this morning is, I think, a really important one. Um, I've kind of titled this one, How Will We Be Remembered? And uh, whether you're younger or older, I think it's the way of wisdom to give thought to our ways. Um, in fact, there is a passage in um, Psalm chapter 90, I believe it is, that goes something like this. Teach us to number our days so that we might cultivate a heart of wisdom. And so wisdom is on the other side of doing an exercise of counting. How many days do I have left? Well, you and I don't know. And how many months and years do we have left? We just don't know. And it's better that way, isn't it? If we knew what the finish line was or the expiry date was with our life in this world, it would change everything and discolor everything about our present moment. And at the same time, according to Scripture, the way of the wise is that they don't deny what's coming at some point along the way. And I, I think we live better lives when we understand that we're not going to live forever this side of heaven but that there will be a final moment for us here. And we want to live well, not so that we can build monuments to ourselves, but so that we can reflect the glory and the goodness of the one true God and leave some sort of mark in the world that lives on after we're gone. Um, I can't think of anyone who would be clear-minded who would say, I really don't care about leaving any sort of positive influence in the world. I think everybody, it's intrinsic for us that we would want to do something positive and leave something positive behind. 
So our passage uh, today is Psalm 103. We'll move through it reasonably quickly, actually. But I just want to start uh, with a summary of Psalm 103. We read it together. Pastor Ken read it earlier uh, this morning. It begins and ends with an invitation to praise God. So it begins like this, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The first two verses of Psalm 103 is an invitation to praise. And then the last three verses, beginning at verse 20 through to verse 22, it ends like this. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. That's how the psalm begins and ends. And you kind of get this feeling that from the beginning of our lives to the end of our lives, we're intended to be the kind of people who give praise and thanksgiving to God. Not because God has some form of uh, weak self-concept and he needs some, something external to prop him up, but because when you and I recognize the value and the goodness of God and we act, remembering and acting accordingly, we actually are in step with ultimate reality. When you and I miss the goodness of God, and we fail to see him in a way that would elicit praise and thanksgiving, we are out of step with ultimate reality. And so really, we're called to praise God because what else would we do once we see God as clearly as possible from this side? And so when you see a tombstone and you see a year, 1969, I was born, and there's a dash, and then one day there will be a year that bookends my life from beginning to end, life in this world. That little dash is just a dash, but there's a lot of life that happens in between that. Psalm 103 begins with a declaration of praise, and it ends with a declaration of praise, but everything that happens in between is an opportunity and an invitation for us to also praise. And so a summary of Psalm 103 is that it it is uh, beginning and ending with, with praise. Um, there are two themes that emerge in Psalm 103, and we're going to look at them. This is the two-point sermon for today. Uh, the first one is this. There are some things we should not forget. The way God has blessed and benefited us. In this passage, we're invited not to forget his benefits, which is really his blessings, the way he has blessed us. And the writer goes like this in verse 2, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Maybe you've experienced some of these. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisf satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Those are beautiful declarations. The Psalms and the Proverbs, when they are read responsibly, are understood not to be laws or promises, but they are poems and songs. It's an artist. David is a skillful artist. He is known as the shepherd king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. He is a man who's known for a couple significant missteps in his life. Um, but the Psalms are written from a poetic posture. And so when David writes that he forgives all of our sins, heals all of our diseases, we know that David was not thinking that even the believing community of God would not struggle with sickness or disease. What David was saying was, God is so good 
that you can generally expect that he will be there for you to help you when trouble comes. And some of us know that God is more than capable of healing bodies and troubled minds and relationships. And he steps into our troubled experiences of life and does wonderful things that we cannot do for ourselves. But David was not saying that the believing community will not be touched by disease because my brother, Ed Dolster, loved God dearly. He loved the Lord Jesus. And he struggled with... uh, with some sickness and some disease. And it was very hard for him. And at the very, very end, he phoned me and we chatted on um, the civic holiday on the Monday and he said, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. The body was struggling, but the spirit was yearning for something more. And he wanted to be at home with God. He forgives all our sins. He heals all of our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. Everything good comes from God. But it doesn't mean that we won't be touched by sickness and disease. But you and I both know, right, that Ed is healed today in the presence of God? Body, soul, mind, and spirit. He breathed his last, stepped over the threshold in the uninterrupted presence of God. The same Ed but the fully redeemed, the fully saved, the sin nature's been eradicated, his body, whatever that looks like on the other side before the resurrection, he is with the Lord Jesus in his presence. It's off the charts. Awesome. You don't want to miss it. And that's what Ed is experiencing today, including Alicia's grandmother. They are both experiencing this today. And so um, the first theme that emerges is there are some things we should not forget, all the ways that God has blessed us and benefited us. And here's the second theme. The second theme that emerges in Psalm 103 is this. We are mortal, life is brief, and we will ultimately not be remembered forever and by everyone. Doesn't that seem like such a bad news story? (laughs) We're mortal, we're all going to die. It's going to happen. And for those of us, who are followers of Jesus, we are hope-filled. We grieve for brothers and sisters who go on before us, but not like men and women who have no hope. We grieve, but we grieve from a hope-filled posture. Charles Spurgeon, who's written these three massive commentaries called The Treasury of David. I don't know, there's gotta be 2,500 pages in these three commentaries, and they're all just about the Psalms. 150 chapters, and there's these volumes. I have them in my office. And Charles Spurgeon, he says Psalm 103 seems to be historically set near the end of David's life. He's on the back end of his experience of life in this world. And he records these words for us in Psalm 103. And this is what he writes. This is the second theme about the mortality of us all as humans. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed He remembers that we are dust. If you ever think that God might be hard on us, remember this. He remembers. Biblical understanding of remembering, he recalls and he acts accordingly. We're just dust, valuable dust, but he knows where we've come from. He knows where we're going. He knows what we're made of. He says, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting, what a contrast. We might be here for just a brief moment in time, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. 
with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Love that passage. So here's the big idea for us, and we'll unpack this and make it really practical in just a moment. We won't be remembered forever by everyone, but we will be remembered by some for something. We won't be remembered by everyone for everything, but we will be remembered by some for something. Uh, The name Maya Angelou ring any bells for you? Um, This is what she said. She said, at the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did, but they will remember how you made them feel. Isn't that true? I like what she said. I think it's 98.5% accurate. But that 1.5% is niggling at me as I studied this week, and I was thinking, the way we make people feel is by the way we act and speak, right? At some point, we do use our words. At some point, we do act, and people remember how we made them feel, even though they won't recall necessarily with great clarity what it is that we actually did or said, but they'll say that person was a good man. She was a gentle, kind person. So from a human perspective today, an inspiring legacy can take a lifetime to build, right? And in just a weak moment of foolishness, it can be eroded with one foolish act. That's the human system, right? We live in a culture right now that is um, really tilted toward canceling people, If you do one thing that's out of step with cultural expectations, they'll just write you off and dismiss you. And so from a human point of view, it takes decades to build some form of admirable reputation, but it can be dismissed and rejected and canceled with one foolish act. Now, God remembers differently than humans do. Isn't that good news? God sees in the secret And the good things that are done and the way we have acted in ways that are consistent with Jesus when he says, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The world may not know what you did, but God knows what you did. And he will reward you for the things that you've done in secret to bless and to serve other people. And so the human system is very different than the divine system. So here's the four categories, and we'll go through them reasonably quickly from Psalm 103 that help you and I think responsibly about our own legacy. How will we be remembered? Okay, so here's the first one, the words that we speak. This is my four points, sub points, Pastor Gary. The words that we speak. Praise is on the lips of David from beginning to end, right? And everything else is bookmarked there. James the Apostle writes in the New Testament that fresh water and salt water cannot flow from the same spring. Blessing and curses do not flow from the same mouth. They ought not to anyway. And so James is saying we ought to be the kinds of people who, with the Spirit's help, put a governor, so to speak, or a governance system over our our mouth so that the words that pass from it help other people. And Paul the Apostle, right? What did he say in Ephesians 4? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. Right on the heels of that, the words we speak to other people can actually make the Spirit of God sad. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the conversations that you and I have with each other are really, really significant and important. In fact, they impact God. And they impact the people who speak the words and they impact the people who hear the words. And um, the conversations that we have matter a great deal because they form us and they shape us. And some of the conversations can be remembered for decades. And it depends sometimes who the speaker is. Um, Our parents, their words carry 
a great deal of weight for their children. Grandparents' words carry a great deal of weight for their grandchildren. Teachers' words carry a great deal of weight for their students. You can talk with people, and I do on a regular basis, where people recount words spoken over them or to them that have wounded them deeply, and words that they cherish because they have nourished them incredibly. Words are incredibly powerful, right? The writer of Proverbs says there's the power of both life and death in the tongue or in the words that pass from our mouths. So it's important, I would say, if we want to um, be remembered for all the right reasons, to have the right kind of conversations. Two thoughts that come to mind today about the right kind of conversations. Make sure you say what needs to be said to the people who need to hear what needs to be heard. Don't wait too long before having the kind of conversation that you need to have with someone. And you need to be wise about it. You need to pray into it. And you need to seek counsel, perhaps. But don't hold the conversation back forever until it's too late. Have the conversation. And whatever that looks like for you. Sometimes having the conversation also includes apologizing for something. Reaching out across some form of divide to invite some form of restoration or reconciliation. And so owning stuff. I don't think there's anything more powerful than a parent who apologizes to their children. I think it goes such a long way. And by the way, the children know that an apology is probably worthy anyway. And so when we as parents say to our kids, that was offside, dad was wrong on that one, that was on me, you see the kids' eyes light up and everybody in the family gets a chance to hit the reset button. That can happen in places of employment, it can happen in churches, it can happen in friendship circles, in marriages, it can happen with our children. And so words will help us be remembered for the right reasons. And so the words we speak, they really do carry power. That's the first one. Here's the second one. The values that we own. Uh, we will be remembered for what we value. Um, I've never been to a funeral yet. Maybe you have, but I, I can't imagine it. I've never been to a funeral yet, a memorial celebration of life where they put the person's um, net worth on the screen. <laughs> look how he did with his investment portfolio. Look how she did with her real estate. Uh, you know, look, look at all that's... Isn't that amazing? Would you put a, round, a hand around? No, that doesn't happen. Nobody celebrates whatever toys we've been able to gather to ourselves or whatever assets we call our own now. It all gets left behind anyway, right? Remember, John Ortberg wrote a book called At the End, It All Goes Back Into the Box. The Game of Life, he called it. It was like, wow, that's interesting. We leave it all behind. But what people do remember is how you spoke with them. Whether you were kind and generous and gentle, whether you reached and served, whether you did things for others that cost you something. People will stand up at podiums and say, you didn't know this about so-and-so, but when I was stuck, they were there for me. That's what they remember. So is it okay to accumulate some possessions and some assets? And of course, course, as long as they don't possess and own us, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Scripture teaches that these things are for our enjoyment and to be uh, made of good use in the world to help others. But people will not elevate you to a place of inspiration based on what you've earned or what you've accumulated 
but really how you've lived in a very selfless, sacrificial way. That's generally how it goes. Number three, the stories we tell. Um, this is how we are remembered, the stories we tell. The Jewish people, they are storytellers. Uh, that's why the Older Testament's filled with so many narratives. They just tell the story. You and I, since maybe the last 400 years or so, we get a copy of the Bible that we get to hold in our hands. Uh, but the large you know, percentage of people of faith have always told the story. It's been very much an oral tradition. And so they would tell the stories that are recorded in Scripture. In fact, the Hebrew people every year still do it when they celebrate Passover. They start four times during the celebration. Why is this night different than every other night? And they go on and tell the story of redemption and the exodus and the way God has delivered them from the cruel clutches of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They tell the story over and over again. We need to tell our story of faith too to our children and grandchildren and others that God prompts us to speak with. My daughter the other day sent me something on Instagram. It was one of these reels, those of you who are on social media, and it had music behind it and everything. It was quite powerful. I read it early in the morning. I was like, wow, this is so good. I think we need to have a conversation at some point. So my daughter sends me this. It's called Seven Questions to Ask Your Dad Before It's Too Late. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> now, wow, this is awfully serious first thing in the morning. But here, here are the questions, which actually invite storytelling, right? Here's how they go. It says, when was the moment when you felt most proud of me? Tell me about your greatest love story and what it taught you. Is there anything different you would do as a father? Is there an experience that you wanted to share with me but have not had the chance to do so? What is the most important piece of advice that you want me to know? What was your toughest moment and how did you get through it? It's like, wow, those are great questions. It's like we should take one of those questions every week and just talk about them. And it's storytelling time, right? If we do mealtime well, and I know it's not easy, right? We got shift work. We're a 24-7 culture these days. People are so busy. But in the good old days, whatever that was, we would have meals together, and it would be an opportunity for storytelling. Where do you have opportunity for storytelling? It's how we get remembered for all the right reasons. First of all, we ask ourselves, what story do I have to tell? And as people of faith, do I have a vibrant, authentic story that has gripped me and transformed me that I need to transmit to those coming behind me? That's the first one. And then, am I taking advantage of moments to actually tell the story before it's too late, right? All right, here's the last one. The time we spend, if we want to be remembered well. I remember somebody uh, sent me something that said, the best way to spell love is T-I-M-E. The way you spend your time is the way you express your love. And uh, we won't be remembered forever by everyone, but we will be remembered by some for something. And uh, the people closest to us, um, do they get prime time? Are they kind of prioritized in our calendar? And it's a good thing to think about as we talk about legacy and consider it. So if we let Psalm 103 serve as our guide, here's the first thing. From beginning to end, we will praise God. Secondly, we will tell others about his character that he is a forgiver, a healer, a redeemer, and a giver of everything good. And then thirdly, we'll make friends with our limitations about our own legacy because not everyone will remember everything, but some people will remember something. And then we will get in touch with our own life and we will redeem our words the best we can. We will, again, hopefully invite the Spirit to shape our values. 
and the time that we spend with others and the stories we'll tell will be part of the legacy we leave. So how will we be remembered? Um, most importantly, will we be remembered as a Jesus follower? Um, I sat with a family recently that was doing some work for um, memorializing their son, and, and I've even done some work myself on thinking about what will be, um, I've already got it shaped, what will be on my headstone. Isn't that crazy? I've already got that written out. There's something called legalwills.ca. You can go there and do it, and you can prepare all your stuff. And um, this was a few years ago, to think about what do I want the last thing to be kind of inscribed there about my life. And um, to live is Christ, to die is gain. When they think of me, I hope they think of me as he lived for Jesus. And when he breathed his last, he went to be with the one he loved. They might, thought I, they might have thought I was a bit peculiar, that I was a bit odd here and there, but at the end of the day, I know this about him. He loved God, and he loved people, and he put his confidence in God. From beginning to end, imperfectly, of course, but he leaned in, put the full weight of his life on Jesus because he knew he couldn't save himself. I'm not sure where you're at these days when it comes to your own legacy and your own story, but I hope at some point in the very near future you will make that important decision to say, I want to live for all the right reasons, and I can't think of a better reason. Live for God, who made us in his image, in his likeness, calls us to follow him, loves us severely, and invites us to spend eternity with him. doesn't get any better, and that's the whole point of our lives. So I want to pray for you, and then I'll share a few brief announcements, and then we'll, we'll go. Uh, Father, thank you today for your peace and grace that makes gatherings like this possible. Thank you for the way that you have let many of us in on what you're doing in the world. And for others, Lord, who might be at the edges of faith, you are inviting them and they are considering what's most important in their own life. Uh, we pray, God, that everybody who's here today, both in the room and online, would um, lean in toward you rather than away from you. Pray, God, that you would help us from beginning to end be, to be the kinds of people who live in touch with ultimate reality, which means that you are at the center of everything, and we choose you, and we praise you, and give thanksgiving to you. Pray, God, that you would help us to understand that we're only here for a short period of time, that each of us has an expiry date, a threshold we will step over. Pray that you would help us to live well. And whatever it is, God, as it relates to conversations or values or the time we spend or the stories we tell, I pray, God, that you would help us to make the most of every opportunity because the days are fleeting, just as your word says, like a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes is really a picture of our lives. And uh, so, Lord, thank you again for the gift of time in this world. We're not here by random chance or accident. We are here on purpose, um, made on purpose for a purpose. So we, we choose, Lord, to say yes today to your purposes for our lives. And we pray this in the awesome name of God, who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you want that prayer to be a true expression of your own heart, would you say a strong amen with me? Amen. Amen. amen.